Um, if you got your Bibles, I'm not going to hold you long tonight. Uh, I just want to kind of touch base with the theme that's been going on um, kind of all the last few months here. Um, Sunday morning, I talked, last Sunday morning, I talked about the cocoon and how the butterfly works. And um, I want to I go back and hit on a little bit of that. Um, I, I kind of, it was a Sunday morning service and you can tell when uh, people fried chickens on their brain on Sunday and I rushed through some of it. I, I want to sit and talk about tonight the cocoon. I want to focus on that. If you weren't here, you're not going to be behind. Um, so the cocoon is where the caterpillar goes to become something that's not important, that's self-centered and focused on himself. He can't reproduce. He doesn't make... Listen to me. Tonight, if you haven't won anybody to the Lord, it is your responsibility. It's not just ministers, because it is our responsibility. But it is, if you're a caterpillar, so to speak, you're not going to be able to reproduce Christians because it's always going to be about you. So the cocoon is where we go to grow. The cocoon is where God does the transformation process. And I just want to look at some scripture that, I mean, these are the most familiar scriptures. And I just want to slow down and just look at them for a second. Um, Psalms 91. And um, I've got all King James tonight. Uh, just because I can quote these from King James, I don't want to read one version and quote you something else. So I'm just going to make it flow together tonight. Usually I read the MEV, but these all I've learned since I was a kid. Um, let me say this one other thing before we get started. Put that down one second. When Valerie came up here today and said something, you heard a lot of great things, but I wanted you, it just kind of pricked in my heart. One thing she said was, is that the church has helped them financially. When you give, there's a lot of great things when you give. L listen, I can talk you through the blessing of tithing. I'm serious. It is amazing. Forget all that. When you give, you become the hands of God and it's not to even get anything back. And I meant when we give and tithe, I can't tell you the stories of the tithes. Um, that when you give your tithes, what God does for you. I don't want to focus on that because if we're not careful, that becomes something about us getting back. If you're not giving, you need to give. Not because we need the money, but because there are families that are dependent on this church to give to them. So, you know, just, just, you say, is the ties down? No, I don't even know. Who cares? God always has come through for us. So we don't, I'm not dependent on that. I'm just saying, you know, you can hear a sermon on tithing and, and it's almost become like give and it'll give, give him back to you, press down to shake it. Well, the, the giving back part's not what it's all about. It, it's the giving part. So when you give, it allows us to bless families and bless people. There's been a lot of needs over 17 years that God has met that you know nothing about, but you've got a crown waiting on you and a, all kind of rewards because you gave. And that has nothing to do with Psalms 91. But when she said that, I just thought, a lot of people, I've heard so many ignorant things about giving, about, you know, that's not a New Testament principle. I told him at Red's church two weeks ago, yeah, you're right. If you don't believe in giving and tithing, and it's, it's well, let's give it New Testament then. 
Go sell your car and your house and everything you have and bring it all to the house. That's New Testament giving. So 10%, and listen, you can, you can get stuck on 10% if you want to. It doesn't work. There's tithes, there's offerings, and there's alms. I don't have time to go through it all. But let me tell you what an alm is. An alm is, is you see the need, you meet the need. You don't tell anybody you met the need. Amen? That's, that's what God, God has given you so much. And what I'm learning about God is, the more that you give, and he sees that your heart is not on the treasures of this world, the more he'll put in your hand, not to go build a lake house, but to put it in other people's hands. Amen. Amen. That rant is over. So Psalms 91. Let me tell you this story. I'm sorry. I'm going to obey God. So when I was in a youth, when I, I got radically saved, and I, I had some bondages in my life that my parents didn't even know about, and God set me free. I'm not going to talk about what they were because who cares what they were? They're under the blood. I'm not glorifying sin because sin is hard. And so I was make, living with my parents. My, dad, my car was paid for. My dad was paying my insurance and my cell phone because we had just got cell phones. That's how long ago this was, by the way. I had a Nokia baby, and I thought I was the coolest guy ever. And we're playing church softball, which is if you want to find the devil, get his church softball team going. And we're playing church softball. And after it, me and my youth pastor are talking. Now, I've been raised in church my whole life. A lot of you in this room have known me since I was born. And I, I'd been raised in church my whole life. And I, I was making $350 a week under the table. Gas back then was 98 cents, by the way. Just to let you know, 350 for somebody living with their parents getting free meals, that was some money. And I said to my youth pastor, I don't know where my money's going. And he said, well, do you tithe? And me, being raised in church, I said, what's a tithe? And he walked me through the benefits of paying my tithes and honoring God with my first fruit. And you know what? He always came through. I remember in college one time, I had an apartment. I didn't want to tell dad and papa that I was struggling because I was going to be my own man. And all I had left was the exact amount of my tithes. I could either live that week. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I paid my tithes. And I got a phone call that Monday. And I was like, Lord, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And when I picked it up, there was some country music blaring in the background. And it was Adam Lash. And he said, J.D., he said, I got to cooking chicken fingers listening to music, and I got to cooking so many I didn't know what to do with them. He said, won't you come over here? I got honey mustard, and I got a big old batch of Kool-Aid, and we ate, and God showed me that day that, man, he does it. I'm telling you, he'll come through for you. Amen. So that's my rant on tithes. If you're wondering where all your money's going, I, I got the answer. It's in your tithes. Now let me tell you something that you're not going to like to hear. I believe, and I can show you scripturally, if you haven't paid your tithes, you owe back payments. This is new doctrine and heresy. No, 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 this is Bible. So you know what I started doing? I started putting an extra 5% until I felt like the Lord said that's enough. I started adding 15% plus offering to pay back God for my back tithes. And you think I'm crazy. I don't care what you think. I've watched God move for us. When they told us that we weren't going to, 
It was going to cost us 15 grand to do IVF. And I looked at Bethany and thought, 15 grand? Where's that coming from? I'll tell you where it's coming from. Everywhere God wanted it to come from. I made friends with the Gardner police officers. They drove to my house and put money in my mailbox. I mean, it's, I mean, God was just showing me, I don't, I, if you'll honor me with your fruit and you'll become, and listen, I asked him one day when I was 13 years old, I read that it says he loves a cheerful giver. And I said, Lord, I am not a cheerful giver. I never have been. I like my stuff. But if you'll make me a cheerful giver, because I want you to love me, I'll always tell people it's you. Amen. That's all you got to do. If you're not a cheerful giver or not, tell him you're not. He already knows. And ask him to help you be one. Amen. Okay, we got plenty of time. 642. Now let's get to the meat of it. Psalms 91.1. Every time I read Psalms 91, I can't help but smile and think about Dr. K and Nona. This is their chapter. Now listen, I don't know what to believe this way or another. Some say Moses wrote this. A lot of scholars do. A lot of scholars believe David did. I believe the Holy Spirit wrote it, and it don't matter. Okay? So, you know, let's not get caught up in all that stuff. Um, it says, he that dwells in the secret place, and the two words we're going to talk about tonight are dwells and secret. Place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, skip to verse 9 through 12. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy, what? Habitation. Go to, go to verse 10. There shall no evil befall thee. Let, listen, hold that up. Let's pray real quick. And I want to just, I feel God's spirit ready to preach. Father, we ask you for your blessing on the word. God, please don't let me be just a hearer, but let me be a doer. Stir us up, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, let's finish, and I'll go back to verse 10. Neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep thee in all your ways. All right? They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against the stone. We have no idea how many times the angels of God have kept us from stuff. Go to back to verse 1 real quick. We're about to get, we've got software coming, guys, where I told JT I don't have to deal in fits, where I'll be able to change my own slides and stop and stay. It's coming. Just bear with us. He does a fantastic job. We get a good chemistry going. So he that dwells, everybody in this room, I'm going to give you three verses tonight other than Psalms 91. You're going to know all three of them. You're going to be able to quote all three of them. But I want you to really slow down and don't just quote it, but let's get it. So the cocoon, back to the cocoon. So he that dwells, on Facebook the other day I put, God wants to be our habitation, not our visitation. All right? So you got to dwell. And now, what in, not just dwell with God, but in the secret place. That's important. The secret of the Lord. So look at, now go to 9 and 10. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, your habitation, not your visitation, Look at this, what happens, 10. There shall no evil befall thee. Now let me tell you what I'm seeing in the American church world today. I'm seeing people quote these verses without quoting the ones before them. 
Well, God loves me and he forgives me of all my sin. And I, got, I can, you cannot claim the promises of God if you don't know God. You can't say no evil. Well, no, I trust in God. Well, if you don't know God, you can say you trusted him all day long. You don't know him. See, people say, well, I can, God will just forgive me. God's love is ever ending. No, listen, where's the obedience piece? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so what we want is some made-up God in fairy frou-frou land where we can just say, we know his promises. Listen, we're just like Israel. We've been culturalized in the biblical truths and we quote it and we spew it and he's looking at us going, who are you? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You might want to start with knowing the through Christ part. Verse 9 or verse 10. Or 9, sorry. You have to make him your habitation. You have to know him. You have to know his word. There has to be something inside you that says, I don't want just to know of you. Listen, church people are the absolutely worst at this. Been there, done that, got the book. We will revel and glory in our past encounters with God and it will absolutely destroy us of the fruit of today. We will remember when God touched us and we will remember when we talked to him and we'll remember all these things, but we have nothing today. You got to be my habitation, Lord. Tomorrow morning, I got to be with you. It might not be but two minutes because of my schedule, but my mind. See, and so he that dwells in the secret place, right? So let's look at dwelling in secret. I want to show you two different scriptures on dwelling in secret. Um, Let me read you this. I don't usually read commentaries, but I just thought this was too good. It says, it is the character of a true believer that he dwells in the secret place. He is at home in God. He returns to God. He repossesses him and his rest. He acquaints himself and makes heart service of God. He worships and loves him. He's alone with God. He would rather be alone with God than anywhere. We cannot claim the promises of God if we don't love to be with God. I know people that love to be with God's people more than they love to be with God. No, like, we've got to get back to our first love again. Like, you have to walk into the cocoon. You have to say, I am a worm or a caterpillar, and if you don't get me in this, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it, Lord. If you're not walking with me, if you're not teaching me, if you're not showing me, I can't just visit you. Listen, it's so catchy to say, don't make God your habitation, but your visitation. Look around tonight. I remember, you know, that he talks about back in the 70s. I remember in the 90s. If a pastor told you if you had the strength to come to church and the ability, you should be there. And they honored the pastor. They don't care today. Because they don't know the same Jesus. They just checked it off their list. I came on Sunday morning. I'm a good person. Check, check, check. 
Y'all thought I was going easy tonight. I've got to stand before God one day. This church world today has made, I'm serious. The God that we say we serve, he is not the God of the Bible. He demands everything. Listen, I'm not, I don't believe in dogmatic religion. You understand that. And that's all I'm going to say on the topic. This is not dogmatic. This is when I know him and I love him, he discusses my life with me. Amen. In the secret place, there's something that happens when we're in the secret place with him. Most people will tell you a secret about bad. Let's just go there for a second. I got a secret to tell you. You, That's not really a secret. That's called gossip. It's totally different. But God is saying, I've got a secret. And we're so close because you're with me. I've got good secrets for you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I want to bless you. I want you to be blessed. I want you everything you do to be a prospering thing because it'll be the seal of me being with you. And I've got ahead of myself. But God has some good secrets for us. JT Psalms 25, 12 through 14. What man is he that fears the Lord, respects, honors the Lord? Him shall he teach the way he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. I don't see a lot of Christians at ease. Because we're claiming promises about somebody we don't know. And his seed shall inherit the earth. Now this is one of my favorite verses. The secret of the Lord is with those that fear reverence him. And he will show them his covenant. Keep that up for a second. I'll tell you when to put it down. What I see is a tendency in us is there is this thing where we try out God. Well, I'm going to try Jesus. I'm going to come down the altar. I hear that he's good and I hear that he'll bless me. And I hear that if I serve Jesus, everything's going to go well. That is the complete opposite of everything in the Bible. Once you serve Jesus, it doesn't get better. Usually you get beat, imprisoned. Go ahead and read Acts. Bad things, people gossip, people backbite you, people slander you. And so we've got this thing where, well, I'll try Jesus. See, you don't try Jesus. He's got a built-in way of weeding out people that try him. Because you can't really know the secret of who he is until you dwell with him. He doesn't just share his secrets until you fear him, which means you honor him, which means you respect him, which means he's so important to you that he's a part of your everyday life. Then he begins to show you those things that men can't show you. That's why so many millennials don't serve him. They want instant gratification, Jesus, and he doesn't exist. Get me out of trouble, Lord. Get me out of trouble. I heard if I served you, you would bless me. He says, oh, I'm not even going to show you who I am. My, my secrets are for those that fear me. I'm going to show them my covenant. I'm going to teach them that there was a price paid for the slave that you are. 
and that Jesus Christ was the beautiful exchange of us slaves to freedom. You can't understand that. You can't fall in love with him until you get the first part, the fear of him. Until you begin to reverence him. Until your life says, I need you in my life every day. I want you to be every part of me, Lord. I, even when I resist you, I want you. Come in, in spite of me. And then all of a sudden he says, let me show you my covenant. Let me, let me teach you what, how much I really do love you. I can't preach that y'all to y'all. To know, to understand with all what? Saints. The people that get this. The love of God that passes knowledge. How could I teach you the love of God? The love of Christ cannot be taught. It cannot be preached. It cannot be decorated. I can't get it in your heart. It's something that you and Him, you have to fall in love with Him. You have to see that God somewhere, there's a disconnect. And I want to get back to being in love with you. I want you to begin to tell me. Listen, so many people text me, God, I need a job. And I need this. And I need that. And I need you to pray for my marriage. And I need you to pray for this. No. <laughs> No, I got my own problems. I will pray for you, but you have direct access to somebody that will talk to you a secret life. But you've got to honor him first. You've got to get in the cocoon and make him about your life. He ain't going to just bless you. He's not Santa Claus. Amen. Yeah, we need to pray for one another. Yes, we need one another. Please understand what I say. I made a comment about gay people when you get saved and I heard people in the church got mad because I was saying they can stay in their sin. I never said that, by the way. People were talking about who believes in gays can be saved. Yes, but they have to repent just like everybody else. And I do believe gays can be saved. I heard people start, I love that. They won't come to me, they just come to everybody else. So don't misunderstand me. I will pray for you. We will pray for you. But I'm trying to tell you, the, the rate of preachers walking away to never go back is astounding. It's because there's, all they're doing is changing diapers. That's all they're doing. Pastor, I'm really being bombarded in my mind. Tell the Lord. He wants, listen, I've been, I, was, I thought I was going to preach this tonight. Go look at how many times... Paul and, and Peter in their epistles wrote, the God of all grace and peace. We got to understand grace is part of the new covenant. You cannot understand grace until you spend some quality time with him. You're not getting it from a devotion book. Just go ahead and listen to me. You're going to get it from your Bible and him. Get you a highlighter ready. And get you a note card ready. You might have to put it in. Listen, get it in you. The word. I have hidden it in my heart. And the more I get it, the more I can't sin against you. Because it's good. Amen. I'm like probably sideways in my notes. Poor JT's looking at the screens going, I don't even know where we are. It's okay. Look, I want you to see this picture, and I'm going to end with John 15, which we all know. Ezekiel 33, 30 through 33. The Lord showed me this one day about a year ago. 
And he says, also, you son of man, the children of your people still are talking against you by the walls and in the doors of the houses. Now look at this. And speak one to another, everyone to his brother, saying, come. Listen to this. This sounds great. I pray you and hear what the word comes from the Lord. Don't go yet. That, how is that talking evil against Ezekiel? They're doing what most church people today haven't done in 20 years. Come with me to church and hear the word of God. Listen, it's so easy to hear this and brush yourself off. I'm serious. Take responsibility tonight. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you tried? Yeah, I know. You'll get him in the morning next Sunday. I don't know the way he's been swinging. Good luck with that. They're saying, come, come to the house of God. Right? But, but finish it. Look at this, what they're saying. 31. And they come unto you as a people comes, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear the words, but they will not do them. For their mouth they show much love, but their heart goes after covetousness. Don't, don't go to the next one yet. Are we there? Come see our church. It's awesome. We've got trapeze artists. We've got it all. Come see. We're going to get three great points We even get to fill it out in our little bulletin. There's not enough depth to it. I know what I'm talking about. Listen to me. I'm not critical of other churches. A lot of times what happens is we criticize other churches because they're doing stuff. And then we realize we haven't done anything. That's easy to do that. Well, we'll just keep sitting and doing nothing. Man, them churches are trying to reach people for Jesus. what we do I don't agree with a lot of that garbage I don't but I don't care about what they're doing I care about what we're doing I don't care about what we take responsibility for me and Papa have talks all the time we see some of this Laodicea he touched on it this morning God doesn't need your help he doesn't need blue smoke machines he, you know, he doesn't. I don't, I don't even, you might disagree with me, I don't mind lights to look good so you can record stuff and send it out. I don't know if you know this or not, if you don't have really good lighting in here, your camera's worthless. I don't mind, I don't mind, I'm not getting into all that garbage. I told you I'm not dogmatic. But I am this, you've got a whole generation filling up pews everywhere and they're inviting their friends. Come on! Come see the show. It's like Ringling Brothers. It's it's awesome. A cross is going to fall from the ceiling and swing across. And people are going to do backflips while they're playing their electrics. It's going to be amazing. Look at the next verse. And though you art unto them as a very lovely song. That's all you are to them. All they're here for is to hear the show. 
Ezekiel, you're preaching your heart to them, and the only reason they're coming is you're just another song to them. So they can go home and say, listen, it happens. You don't have to be in a church that has all that weird stuff going down. And I'm not, some of you think I'm talking about one church, and I'm talking about Assembly of God churches. Where we call them up now to the front and tell them how to jump to the beat of the music. I'm not talking about other denominations. I'm talking about the Assemblies of God. Come on. Come on down. Bounce for the Lord. And they're in there bouncing with him. They don't even know him. And they're like, oh, man, that service was awesome. They leave so jacked up and they're so pumped up. And they're going to go do everything that will destroy them. The word of the Lord, if you accept it and you do it, it is a blessing. Listen, I've jumped before. Some, I preach sometimes. I think some of you think I'm not Pentecostal. I'm 100% Pentecostal. I told God this morning, I'm so sad that I haven't gotten to lay hands on people in a long time. I love when God ministers through me. I love laying on hands. There's something powerful about it. I'm, I'm not anti-Pentecost. But you don't have to tell me to jump. If I've got Jesus, he said I can leap for joy. It comes from my knowledge of him. It comes from my love for him. I get so excited with him. I look forward to being with him. Right? If we're not careful, we will make evangel this. Man, Brother Lankford, he really preached it, buddy. You got to come hear these words coming out of the pulpit. We do it. Everywhere you go, Kevin Ham. I know Kevin Ham. He's an amazing man of God. Cardinal First Baptist. But he doesn't deserve a shrine. Man, you should hear Pastor Kevin. I don't want to hear Pastor Kevin. I want to hear Jesus. You can keep Pastor Kevin, and he feels the same way. Let me let you in on a little secret you don't, probably don't know. You know why Pastor Kevin preaches so well? He's spirit-filled. He will tell you, I speak in tongues. He'll tell you that. He's not ashamed. The way he looks at it is a little different doctrinally. He believes that he has a gift that only, only certain people can speak in tongues. God could care less about all that. Paul had to pull Aquila and Priscilla aside and show them a more perfect way. God don't care about all that. He's spirit-filled. That's why he preaches with fire. My point is, in America, we've made the stage the main event. In the churches that don't have the trapeze artists. In the churches that don't have the smoke machine. We've made it about performance. I'm telling you, I think sometimes about these young guys that are preaching, and I thought, man, they're, they're, this American church is a lion's den. They don't give you time to adjust and learn how to do it. They'll vote on you with their feet. Because if it's not smooth and powerful and everything performed just right, make you feel good when you leave. You, if you're in love with him, it doesn't matter who's preaching. 
It doesn't. It doesn't. Should people study and be polished? And Of course they should. I, I, every time I preach, me and Bethany talk. I, don't, I say, don't tell me anything good. Tell me everything bad so I can work on it. And wives are really good at that. <laughs> She's used in her gifts well. I'm just playing. When you get the secret, can I share? Can I share what I told you in the bedroom today? Okay. When you get with him in the secret, his word becomes alive. What happens to you is that in every season, bad or good, he'll speak to you in your season. So we, we had a miscarriage this week. And it hurt. Let me speak to you. Listen to me. It's, be with us. God, God's faithful. Stay with me. I want to show you something. Even, even in the worst time, his word was right there with me. And he showed me David when he had an affair with Bathsheba. And he said, David mourned while the baby was alive. But when the baby was dead, Jonathan, he cleaned his face, he shined up, and he went and comforted his wife. He said, why are you saying this? Because I've heard so many people say, well, the Bible doesn't speak to me. It will speak to you. What is your word in your miscarriage season? The word for me was here's how you be a husband and you be blessed. Okay, your time of mourning is done. What's done is done. Now you take care of your wife the way Christ takes care of the church. Put on your little maid costume and clean the house and sit by her and watch movies that you would never watch in your whole life ever. Every Hallmark movie is the same. She keeps an inn, and he's a king, and they somehow meet, but then somebody comes to break them up, and they get back together. It's the same thing. I just thought how wonderful God is if we serve him. Most people think about the Bathsheba and David story one way, but the Holy Ghost put that in there to teach us how to be husband and men for an on-time word, how to be like Christ. I don't care what you're going through. If you'll get with the Lord, he'll show you marvelous things in his word. He'll talk to you. You'll see stories like that. And oh man, wow. Don't, don't listen. Don't be sad for us. All his promises are yes and amen in him. Don't, don't be sad for us. Listen, stop bringing us food too. <laughs> I got... I got home, there was cookies everywhere. There was, I was like, man, donuts and cupcakes and, uh, anyways, stop bringing us food. And don't bring us vegetables in place of food. Amen. Let me make my last point. He'll show you his covenant, y'all. He'll show you this. The reason that he's boring to you and he's, is because he can't reveal this to just anybody. He's got to know that he's got you.
And look at the last thing. Everybody in here knows this. John 15, 1 through 7. I am the true one. My father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. Now, do we believe that? Do we really believe that? How would our lives look different if we believe that? Back to, we have this ideology of God that's not scriptural based. Right? So I'm looking at my life, just like you should look at yours. Where's the fruit? Do we really believe he would, God of love, would take us away if we're just sitting on a pew? No, we don't believe it. We hadn't spent enough time with him to believe it. Oh, he's merciful. Yeah, he's merciful. Yes. He expects fruit. He expects you to go from a caterpillar who's all about yourself and no vision and no, to being a butterfly that can help people. Amen. He expects it to be about others. He expects some fruit in your life. He expects some words to people other than hello. Where's your fruit? Where's our fruit? Every empty pew in here shows us we don't have very much fruit. Yeah, see, it's real easy to jump on the board with me and let's criticize all the assemblies of God that bounce like kangaroos. But it's a little different when we say, what about our church? So are the pews empty because we're not spending time with the Lord? Well, people just don't want God anymore, bull. Now look, every branch that bears fruit, he purges it. That is a painful process. That's part of being in that cocoon. And he says, hey, you're doing pretty good with me, but I got something else I need to. He called it this morning. It's called sanctification. Did you notice how he didn't have to have a preacher tell him not to go to the places where the girls were dressed and all that? Who told him? The Lord. Because he was in the cocoon with him. He had just been saved. He was getting close to him. I, ain't, I don't have to preach to you how to dress and what to watch and how to conduct yourself. I'd be here all night. You have a Holy Spirit. He will tell you how to dress, how to act. He'll tell you what to watch. He'll tell you what to say. And what not to say. Can't you see Paul in Hebrews? After he does all the faith. Chapter 12 he's like. Why are we laying the foundation again with repentance with dead works? Can we not move forward into all these marvelous things for the body? 
Now notice how he didn't talk to the preachers. This was not called the epistle to the prophets. This was to the body of Christ. Every single Hebrew was reading this letter that it is your responsibility to not only know of God, but that he is so alive in your heart that everywhere you go is like he goes. I believe this. Now, keep going. Verse 3. Now, you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. I can't even give you how awesome that one thing right there is. That is an amazing verse. Go to 4. I'm going to close. And then he says what I'm talking about tonight. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself... Except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. And then one of my favorite parts of that verse, for without me you can't do it. You can't live this without him. But I want you to know that he has an expectation for us to bring forth a lot of fruit in our life. And listen, fruit ain't only just filling the pews. Fruit comes in a lot of different ways. But I'll tell you what fruit does. If you've got fruit in your life, it's a blessing to everybody you come in contact with. Amen? Now, skip to John 15, 14 through 16. This is my last two scriptures and we'll go. Jesus says to them what I want you to hear. You are my friends if... If you do whatever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does, but I've called you friends. For all the things I've heard of my Father, I whisper to you. I share my secrets. Can you imagine these guys who know the God who thunders, and if you touch the holy mountain, you die? And now he stands before him and says, you're my friend. You're my friend. Oh, you're my friend. I'm going to tell you secrets because you're not a servant. You're a friend. He expects us to be friends back. I'm serious. All you have to do is scroll Facebook And it'll make your heart want to cry. All the people that are claiming God's promises and they don't even know him. You say, man, you're passing judgment. No, I'm not. Their fruit's showing. There's times I look back in my life that I call it coasting. He's calling this church back to the cocoon. I drove past the church yesterday and I said, God, what's it going to take for you to fill the pews again with souls? And as clear as I'm talking to you, he said to me out loud, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And I stopped the Lord as I was praying. I said, Lord, I need to understand why you put that humble yourself in there. Well, I'll tell you why. He began to show me. It's your agenda. You have to get out of you to get in the right spirit of prayer. You have to say, it's not the way I want it, God. It's not the way I want it. It's not my personal will. 
There might be some times because I'm with you that I don't get to do what I want to do. Humbling myself. And if they'll turn and they'll seek me, then they'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. You got to get in the cocoon. Those that fast in secret, those that pray in secret, he rewards openly. There's a cocoon there. When you're driving into work, turn the radio off and get back in love with him. I'm telling you, I love honest praying. I, I lay in bed, and you can ask Bethany, we talk sometimes at night, and I'm scared to death that there's people that I would rather them not come to church here and rather them go somewhere else because they're going to have to stand in judgment from the words they're hearing. I have a dear friend that left the church about four months ago and I asked him how he was doing and he said he's, visit, he's visited a different church every single week. He said, I've heard four okay sermons in 16 weeks. These preachers are preaching what I call sermonettes. People aren't getting fed. Those people that are hearing those sermonettes are going to be a lot better off than people that are sitting in churches where the truth is being laid out in front of them. We have to. We have to get back to our prayer closet. Jim Canner passed away. I'll never forget Jim Canner. We came here and there was 23 people. And every night for over six months, me, him, and the pastor laid here on the floor every single night. I was in college then. There were a lot of chicks out there. So that kind of sounded weird. No, you've been in college before and single. You're thinking about having fun and going out and bowling and all. We didn't have a lot of the, t the whatever that is, top golf and all the cool things they do nowadays. We had the bowling alley and the skating rink. <laughs> we missed, you say you missed all that through there. No, 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 no. I saw some of you are here because 17 years ago when we sought God, he was already 17 years ago maneuvering your life to be here. So how are we going to grow again? Everybody's get back in their cocoon. Amen? How, how are we going to grow again? We're going to have to humble ourselves. Listen, and I was saying, we have to have real prayer. Be honest with the Lord. I love when we're honest. I'm going to read you the statistic and we're going to close. I'm so glad my phone didn't go off. These are people that have a, they say they have a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. And it's still as important to them today as when they met him. These are Americans. He polled random Barna. I get a Barna email every day with statistics about church burnout and all this stuff. 62% of Americans say they have a walk with Jesus Christ and it's alive today. What? 62? Where, 
just as religious as Israel was. I go to the temple. Yeah, but who cares? 62% of America? You can look at this last election and tell there ain't 62% of the America. When you can vote for killing unborn babies, give me a break. You don't know Jesus, the author of life. 50, this is about right. 56% of males say that it's just as important to them today. And 68% of females. Thank God for women in the church. Listen to this, though. By the generation, 46% of millennials think that walking with Christ is important, which that's still in their mind. Generation Xers, I think I'm right there, 59%. Boomers, 65%. Elders, 71%. You see a trend happening in America? Back to the secret place. This new generation, they don't even care about him. And let me tell you, 68% of America's Americans do not know Jesus Christ. They're like, hey, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus, yeah. No, 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 yeah, I believe in Satan, but I don't follow him. I don't have a relationship with him. <laughs> Me and Bethany were laughing. We left church today. We fought him. <laughs> we know him. You see my point? I think we can just sit. When I was reading that today, I think we can sit in evangel. And if we're not careful, we can check off that we know Jesus. But our life doesn't show that. <laughs> 